Welcome to AML Conversations, the Solution Series. This podcast series focuses on practical information about solutions to challenges you face in your financial crime compliance program. These solutions include managed services, technology, advisory, and third-party risk management. You can access this series and other AML Conversations and This Week in AML podcasts at our website, amlrightsource.com, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome back to the Solution Series. Today, we're bringing back two incredibly talented individuals who have graced our podcast before. It's my pleasure to reintroduce Leandra Loss, our Principal Data Scientist, and Kevin Lee, our Director of Financial Crime Technology. Hi, guys, and thanks for joining me again. Hi, Rachel. How are you doing? Hi, Rachel. It's my pleasure. I'm good. Thanks, Kevin. In the previous episode, I asked Leandra a series of questions relating to the concepts and applications of AI to lay the foundation for our ongoing discussion. Continuing from where we left off, this episode is going to focus on a widely debated topic, the trustworthiness of AI. Many argue that it presents a significant risk to society. It's also often referred to as a black box, and I want to get a better understanding of this. Likewise, I want to understand why conventional white models are no longer effective in combating financial crime. So let's begin. Leandro, Kevin, what are your thoughts? Can we trust AI? I do think we can trust AI as much as we can trust any other model that we have in our space, the FCC space. But I think that trust comes with some caveats. We need to put it within the framework that we have an industry, we as an industry have established over the past 15 years, and that is a framework that is anchored by model risk management, data governance, and all the principles that we have in place today that oversees models. Um, At its core, AI is different than rules-based transaction monitoring, sanction screening, or uh, FCC technology that we have today, because it learns, and and there's a level of learning from the output that doesn't happen with rule-based systems. And so I think in order to fully trust AI, we as an industry have to understand exactly the mechanisms for how the learning happens and ensure that there's a proper level of governance and the ability to control subjectivity in that process. Leandro, what do you think? Can we trust Uh, AI? I like the angle that Kevin took because there is a lot of debate online on if AI is going to take over the world, it's going to become our overlords and exterminate humanity. And I think at this point, I think it's a valid concern uh, as a human being, as a preservation of the species kind of thing. But I, at this point, I would tell you that there is more science fiction involved than uh, actual facts. First of all, it's important to, because when we talk about trust, there's a strong connotation there. You trust your wife, you trust your husband, your partner, your, you know, your co-workers, that's the trust you put on someone. And if they betray you, that's a, that's a life-changing experience, right? There's a trauma involved. That's not AI. <laughs> AI is a machine. And as Kevin mentioned, it was trained to behave in a certain way. And what's special about the machine learning part of AI is that it's able to learn without someone explicitly, explicitly telling them how to behave. So the way we've mentioned this before in the previous episode, that you give the input and you give the output, and the power of AI is to fill in the gaps, right? Connect that output to the input. And every time 
or given a certain probability, you will provide that same output. That is AI. That's that's a piece of code. And as much as we talk about black boxes and stuff, you open the piece of code, it's a piece of code. And there are formulations and they, they change the parameters according to the input to generate that input. So I just wanted to make sure that we're talking about the same thing here. We're not talking about the human side of uh, trusting. We're talking about trusting the results of it. In that sense, it does overlap a lot with what Kevin said at some level, because in training the machine, training this, this model to behave in a certain way, of course, there are parts of the algorithm, but the algorithm is controlled, created by human beings, right? So human beings, you could ask, can I trust that organization of that group of people that are creating that data set, that training data set to make sure that the data is unbiased? that the model is able to communicate when there is a certain, when it doesn't know the answer. So these two things, these two factors are very important, unmitigated bias and uncommunicated uncertainty. Because the model would tell you to make a left turn on the second traffic light. And uh, it can't tell you, hey, I, you can do this and I'm 90% sure that that's gonna take you where you wanna go. That needs to be communicated. And so we can always look for this cues and you know the history of the people working at that group you know um do you want to to answer that question if you can trust it so ai needs to be broken down into the algorithm the techniques the group that is actually developing that and of course the political interest and the behind the curtain interest that uh in developing those right again addressing bias and and uncertainties Absolutely. I agree with you, Leandro. What I think the question that trust is really getting at here is the trust of the bias or lack thereof of the of the individuals training the model. So like Leandro said, machine learning is it's not sentient. It's based on mathematic principles, maybe more abstract than a traditional rules based system, but nonetheless, mathematic principles. But there is a level of bias to that is that is possible for training these models that you wouldn't really get in a in a rule based situation. So I think we as an industry have to understand that and put it into the framework of model risk management and unbiased uh, and unbiased ongoing monitoring platform. Leandro, I just want to go back to something you said there about AI being viewed as a black box. So how do we shine a light into this model so that it sort of loses that that association of being a black box? Right. So that's a great question, uh, because what is a black box, right? First of all, a black box can be black for certain types of people, and it may, it may be completely transparent to a lot of other people that know a little bit about the domain. And uh, we may not be talking about AI here, talking about going to the doctor. The doctor could explain in a certain language, you know, what you have based on the symptoms you gave him or her. And, uh, and you could understand if you have a, some expertise or some level of education that allows you to understand that. Or basically, you just uh, get out of the, off, uh, the, the clinic remember that you have to take this pill three times a day. So it was a complete black box there. Uh, so in AI in particularly, there is a set of techniques that involve neural networks. And these algorithms, what's so special about them is that they can basically grow to infinite. 
given that you have the right resource and stuff. That makes these techniques particularly black box because, not because, as I said, there is an algorithm that you can open the code and see that you can't see all the parameters in each of the, those neurons, right? Uh, it is not about that. It's about our limitations as human beings to understand complex information, especially at scale. So most of us, we will learn, you know, from five to seven, maybe nine tokens of information at a time. Okay, so going back to uh, Kevin's rule-based systems. Yes, you write a rule, but you're probably going to see that those rules are not bigger than, you know, five parameters, five conditions. When you imagine now a condition that involves a rule that involves 200 parameters, 200 conditions, can you understand that? You can follow the path, you can, but understand it deeply why this condition happened at the same time of this, or this one at 50% of chance of happening happens at the 75% uh, of the other one happening. That's more complex. That's what particularly makes this techniques uh, more black box. How can you shine a light though? There are different techniques to do so. One that is particular, particularly attractive to non-technical people is what's called the post hoc explanation. Post hoc, after the fact. So a machine, it doesn't matter how complex it is, it gives you an output based on that input. What these techniques of explaining the AI do is that they go back to the input and they start perturbing the input trying to get similar or different answer from what the AI provided. And by doing this, statistically moving those weights around, it's able to determine that input number one uh, contributed 60% to that output, the number two, 30%, the number three, 10%, and all the others, basically, you could have any input there that they didn't affect the output at all which in my opinion is very similar. It's very attractive because it's very similar to what, for example, doctor do, uh, doctors do. Uh, you, you show up with a headache and they're going to say, well, there's 60% of chance to be you know, this and 30% to be this one, 5% and so on. It gives you, and maybe your ankle that hurts have nothing to do with that, right? So it's important to see that you don't need any knowledge of neural networks or AI. You just need to, read the results from the explanation and that explanation is given by the same language as the input and this is input is basically in your domain knowledge so if we're talking about aml we're talking about the number of round dollar transactions we're talking about having or not uh, adverse media hits uh, being or not on a sanction list and so on so the answer the explanation to that for that risk score would be hey you know uh, round dollar transactions 30 percent uh, sanction list, 70% because it's a severe thing. And everything else wouldn't matter. If you're in a sanctioned list, you would be a, a red flag anyway, that kind of stuff. So there are other techniques, but um, this one is really interesting for people that are not, that don't want to get into the inner workings of, you know, as Gavin mentioned, the formulators, the mathematical formulators of, of a neural network. Well said. Thank you, Leandro. I, I agree with most of what you were saying, if not all of it. I, I think the main reason why we view artificial intelligence and machine learning as a black box is because of the scale of complexity. The, the scale is a different level of complexity than your traditional rule-based systems. Traditional rule-based systems use a very simple if-then logic, standard arithmetic. 
Um, but when you're talking about machine learning and artificial intelligence, you're getting into abstract mathematics, which um, some might need a PhD to understand. Others might need a master's degree or at least a refresher on, on the courses you may have taken decades ago. Um, and for me, I think that is the crux of why machine learning and artificial intelligence is so different than what we have today. Um, but it is very much necessary. As we've discussed in the past, Rachel, the 90 to 95% percent of false positives that we see today in TM and sanctions are not being used. So there needs to be some level of model feedback from all of this useful information back into the model to train it to make it smarter. And that is something that rules-based systems do not do well right now and something that we as an industry are moving towards with the introduction of machine learning and artificial intelligence concepts. And to Leandro's point, there, the idea of machine learning is to use 50, 100, 1,000 different features in order to come up with a better answer than a rules-based system. One of my favorite analogies that I read on GitHub is when you're in a forest and you're looking for a mushroom to eat and you see a mushroom, but it's a brand new species and you don't know if it's edible or it's poisonous. But you, what you do have is a data set that helps you come to this decision. This is what is called a random forest model. And it's very popular in our space, which is classifying and triaging risk, typically in alerts or customers. Um, so back to the analogy, the mushroom has a number of different features that you can use in order to predict whether or not it's poisonous. There's the color of the mushroom, the size, the odor, the shape of the cap, the color of the soil it grows on, et cetera, et cetera. And if you do have information about, let's say, 100 mushrooms that you know whether or not they're poisonous and you know these different feature um, attributes, you can use that to build decision trees on subsets of this information. And with a hundred or a thousand or a million decision trees, you're able to get a better answer on whether the mushroom that you don't know is poisonous or not. So that's just a simple analogy to kind of explain the complexities of machine learning. But I, I hope that is the sort of a practical application that we're able to articulate as an industry in order to shine a light on the black box that is uh, machine learning and AI. In contrast to black box models, we have white box models. Their logic is transparent and the decision-making process is interpretable. Why are these models not effective in combating financial crime? The answer is simple to me. I don't know if Kevin is going to agree or not, but the answer is simple. Simply because they don't work. For the complexity of the problems that we're talking about, the complexity of, of um, the skill set that criminals have today in understanding, using the system, understanding the rules that are set today and bypassing those sometimes easily, more or less easily, white box methods, methods based on everything we talked about here. Their size, the simplicity, the number of parameters that they use, the number of conditions that they can that they can encapsulate and, and reason around is just too small. It, it's We're way past that point in time when we had problems that could be solved with a decision tree, you know, simple algorithm that used few parameters. We're like Kevin mentioned, we're in the thousands and hundreds of thousands pieces of input. And if you think hundreds of thousands, it's not, uh, you can't see that in ML. Just remember that we're processing thousands of uh, news articles for, for a given entity. 
So that as input, it's literally hundreds of thousands of tokens of, of words or syllables. So yeah, it, we're not too far from that. Um, so white boxes, as I said, they, they, they're just too simple. Yeah, they may be simple. They, they may still be used to determine the entity type. If someone is a person, a corporation, if it's a casino, MBFI, uh, yes, you can still use it. They still have room here. There's still room for them in our overall solution. However, when we're talking about adverse media, we're talking about sanction evasions, tax evasion, and, and we're talking about a different, uh, you know, a different game here, a different league. So I think going back to black box now that we said, you know, simply that white box don't work. And some people could debate that. I'm, I'm open for debating. But the black box is the side effect of something, of an algorithm, a type of algorithm that is very much necessary. <laughs> I paraphrased Kevin here. It's very much necessary. The fact that it's a black box, we're dealing with it. But tell me how the financial uh, system can protect themselves, can detect, you know, suspicious behavior when criminals are out there spending as much time as us when finding a solution. They're there also finding ways of bypassing the system. So we need techniques. We don't have much to sit with experts and say, oh, this guy did this, and now let's use this parameters. He has this five or 10 parameters to detect that new behavior. What we need is a system that is able to detect anomalies. First, it's detected as an anomaly, right? You have your rules, you have your, and when I say rules here, we're talking about patterns that you know of. You're talking about behaviors that are considered normal. And then you have an anomaly. That anomaly pops out in your system because it's just different from anything you've seen before. It could be legit, but you know it could be suspicious as well. From that, AI is able to say instead of trying to figure out, give you you know ask humans to understand how that happened. No, it used the input and it says this is suspicious. And all of a sudden, these rules, this set of patterns here in the, your in your neural network, will change to adapt to consider that not as an anomaly anymore, but as a behavior that was categorized, either as legit or suspicious. Um, so I think the black boxiness of, of these algorithms is, is just a side effect of a technology that is very much necessary for the level, for the volume, the, the complexity of our financial systems today. As I said, the volume, the scale of the problem is just too large for a simple decision tree or a, a set of rules to work in. Kevin brought that up very well. Um, these systems are producing 95% false positives. And I, I, as I said before, I wouldn't like to work in a, come to my work just to find that seven and a half hours of my day were thrown away by just things that are not true. I would like to spend my whole day looking at actual crimes and solving them and, you know, alerting on them and so on. I'm relatively new to the industry and something that has always stuck with me is how the bad actors are leading the innovation race. So you're ultimately saying that AI levels this playing field and that it's necessary because white box models are just too simple. That is correct, yes. Okay. Absolutely, and I, I would agree with that. I think we as an industry and in our advisory business, we have the benefit of a broad view into the different typologies and risk coverage strategies of the largest banks in the world. Um, I think as 
a traditional role-based system, we as an industry are nearing our ceiling, if not already at it. And like you said, Rachel, it, it really is keeping up with the bad actors that exist and they are the ones needing the innovation and we have to react as an industry and introduce I would say more complex concepts in order to look for patterns and networking relationships between these bad actors. Rachel, last thing, or let me add to that, just to make sure that this comes across. The fact that an algorithm is a black box, and as I said, black boxness has different levels depending on the, the audience we're talking about, but let's talk about in general, should never be the determinant to use or not an, a solution. Because as I said, I point out one out of many solutions that try to explain a black box. And one of them has nothing to do with the technology itself. It's really completely within the domain knowledge of whoever is using it, which is this post hoc explanation. Just to make sure that this goes across. Never let anyone say, we don't use black box because we can't understand it because maybe you didn't get to the point where you are really trying to explain it. Because if that's your obstacle, we have a solution for it. Before we wrap up this episode, I just want to say thank you, Kevin and Leandro, for joining me again and for sharing your knowledge with us. Thank you, Rachel. Thanks for having us. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Join us next time as we explore large language models. Thanks for listening to this episode of AML Conversations, The Solution Series. More episodes will be posted in the coming months. If you find this installment interesting, there is more great content at amlrightsource.com. If we can help you with your financial crime compliance needs, schedule a meeting on our website. Together, we can reimagine compliance.